This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, what is authentic spirituality? Today we're asking this question to Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Matt is a church pastor, lecturer at Melbourne School of Theology and lead singer of the Psalms project band Sons of Korah. And he joins me now. Please welcome Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Well, Matt, welcome to Bigger Questions. It's great to be with you. Now, you're a lead singer, guitarist and songwriter of the band Sons Mm. of Korah. But who are the Sons of Korah? Uh, Well, we've uh, been going for over 20 years and uh, we're a five-piece ensemble. We've been based in Australia. We've travelled extensively uh, around the world and focusing uh, exclusively on the Psalms. Right. Wow. Is there any particular reason for focusing on the Psalms? When I was doing my undergraduate studies in theology, uh, I was also working as a musician and I just was drawn to the Psalms as a body of songs. And... Uh, you know, I kept going with my studies, but I also kept going with this idea of putting the Psalms to music, and it just, it just caught on. I became fascinated with it, and, and 20 odd years later, I'm still going. Right, wow. Um, now, the Sons of Korah, they're actually mentioned in the Psalms themselves, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. So they, they are original group who composed some of the Psalms. Right, and so they're not the same as you, though. Like no, 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 son, we're not that old. Of, yeah, yeah. Like just, be, be, just 20 years. Not, not, <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, not, you're not quite right. that old. Yeah, I wouldn't have quite. thought. Yeah, yeah. So effectively, are you a cover band then? Is that uh, right? If, yes, more or less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Cover the Psalms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So do you think that the original Sons of Korah would sound the same as what you guys do? Well, it's interesting. I, I think they probably would have sounded more like what we know today as Arabic music. Not exactly, but something like that. Uh, so very sort of... Um, multi-tonal and, and uh, with that, that very Eastern sound. I think some people, we forget sometimes that they come from that Eastern right. area. So I think that sound would have... Was that what you were trying, trying to do with the band, to try to capture that Eastern sound? Or was it well, just... not, not really. We do mix in some of that. I mean, a lot of our stuff is quite what we would refer to as multi-ethnic. I mean, we draw uh, sounds from a lot of different places, but we do mix in quite a bit of that Eastern Arabic sort of flavour. Right, okay. Well, to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. And today we're asking Matt Jacoby about authentic spirituality. So, Matt, I thought I'd test you on how spiritual are you? Now, Uh I'm using some online quiz I found somewhere on the internet. Now, are you a fan of online quizzes for Uh, profound life advice? Of course, of course. (laughs) Right. Maybe you've already done this quiz, so maybe we'll find out. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, there are... Three questions, each with multiple options, and these questions will give an idea of exactly how spiritual you are. Okay, question one. Do you like to look at the stars? A, yes, I feel very connected to them. B, who doesn't? C, when I remember. Or D, only if there's a meteor shower or something. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Okay, so you're going for a B there. Yeah, I'm going for a B. Okay, that's that's, that's not too bad. Okay, question two. Do you own crystals? A, yes, I have a great collection. B, I have a few. C, I might have some in jewellery. Or D, what? No. D. (laughs) Okay. Question three. Do you meditate? A, yes, consistently. B, once in a while. Or C, nope. A. Yes, consistently. Okay, well, Matt, according to this quiz, you probably sit probably in the middle, I think, because if you answered mainly A's, you would be very spiritual, according to this quiz. 
Uh, it would say taking time to meditate, being kind to others, etc., and being true yeah. to yourself. Mm. If you answered mainly sort of D's and C's, etc., yeah. you would not be spiritual. Okay. Uh, you would be thinking more about science, etc. Uh, but you have a little bit of spirituality in you, it says. You may like to meditate, own some crystals or debate the meaning mm. of it all, although you don't own any crystals, uh, but you don't get into too much depth. It's just the amount of right of exploration and soul-searching for you. So I'm very encouraged, thank you. Encouraged thank David. you, David. I'm so, Matt, you're some, so according to this, you, are a little, you have a little bit of spirituality yeah. in you. Please round of applause for Matt's <laughs> spiritual journey. So, Matt, spirituality is often associated with astrology, meditation, crystals, yoga, etc. So why is this? What are, what are they tapping into for this, this kind of spirituality? I think spirituality is, or seems to be in popular usage, some kind of reach outside of the tangible, the, what we call the empirical world, yeah. beyond science into, uh, into the unknown mystery, into another perhaps spiritual dimension right. and, and an attempt to somehow tap into that in some way. That, to, that, to, that I think very broadly... To connect with something is, greater, so to speak, yeah, like that's right. transcendent or something. But. Yeah, it does, I, I don't think it always involves God. Uh, I mean, I, I think it should, uh, but it, in, in the way that it's popularly observed, it doesn't always involve, well, involve God. There are many people that are spiritual but not religious or don't believe in God necessarily. Sort yeah, of, that's they, right. They yeah. Sort of accept yeah. spirituality as something broader than that. Yeah. Now, I did the quiz, and yeah. I, I found out go? that I, well, I wasn't very spiritual, apparently. Oh. <laughs> I got a statement that you are not spiritual, you don't spend too much time thinking about what the meaning of, is behind life, or looking to the world and nature for answers. Concrete science is the name of the game for you. Wow, you should work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the quiz perhaps is, uh, I don't know if it was something to do with the quiz, yeah. but, so, it did make me wonder though, is rationality and science then the opposite of authentic spirituality? Uh, no. Um, I think the way, a good way to describe it, and it has been described, that as a Christian I would reason from a place of faith, mm -hmm. whereas I think uh, science would uh, attempt to reason to conclusions. Right, okay. Uh, so, so in a sense, and, and, that, and that's not to say that I think that faith is just assuming things in the absence of evidence. No, I, I think faith is much more personal. I think it personally uh, puts us in touch with a reality that is beyond what we can know empirically. Yeah. So I, I think there is a really important place for science and reason. Uh, I just think it's important to understand what that place is, that it's part of something bigger. I find the idea of a, uni of a universe that, that we limit to just a tangible empirical universe, I find that to be far too narrow. Yeah. Well, because this was what the Enlightenment project was about in some sense. Because, um, so for example, someone like Karl Marx, who was a great 19th century atheist thinker, he claimed that the universe was simply full of matter only and no spiritual dimensions. Um, and I think it was part of the Enlightenment project was to suggest that with the rise of science and objective rationalism that spirituality was going to disappear. Uh, yeah, well, the radical Enlightenment, of course, the, the what they call a moderate Enlightenment, uh, they were, uh, well, deists, they possibly weren't Christian, but certainly deists, but the radical Enlightenment, absolutely, they wanted to see reason and science enthroned. Um, now, that, of course, then assumes that we have to reduce, take, take a reductionist approach to how we think about everything and reduce everything 
the, the tangible yeah, empirical yeah. universe. So that's uh, limited then, would you think? Uh, I, I think it's enormously limited. In fact, I think that idea that we reduce the universe, that positivist idea that we reduce the universe just to the tangible empirical universe, and there's nothing outside of what, you know, we admit no truth outside of what science, the scientific method can potentially mm. verify. Uh, I, like, I, I think uh, that is something that is completely untenable. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think many people beyond very militant atheists would... would uh, subscribe to that. Yeah, yeah. And so the very fact that there is this uh, enduring spirituality would indicate that there's something that people, the human experience perhaps, seems to grasp at something more? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, Rodney Stark, in, in his book, The Triumph of Faith, and he argues against what's known as the secularization thesis. And the secularization thesis is that this idea that the more we know, the more technologically we become, the more intellectually sophisticated we become yeah. as people, the less inclined we are to faith and spirituality. And he actually shows in The Triumph of Faith, which is his most recent book, he actually shows from the best reading of the latest statistics that that is completely off the mark. That actually with secularization, the process of secular, uh, with the process of technological advance, that we are actually becoming more spiritual. Right, yeah. So, so the Enlightenment sort of pro or proposal is actually flipped on its head. It's actually yeah. going the opposite way. Well, well, the Enlightenment did us a favour in one sense is in that it, it essentially ditched what we would call Christendom, yeah. which is, uh, and again, Rodney Stark refers to monopoly religions, you know, uh, very powerful nation states that were Christian in inverted commas. And by doing away with that, I mean, it's interesting during the Enlightenment, as we see the beginning of the end of Christendom, we see the rise of a new and very vitalized form of Christian spirituality that we know now today as evangelicalism with John Wesley and the Great Awakening in, both in America and So and there's a sense that it, it laid the seeds for something more authentic, perhaps. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what in, is at the heart of spirituality? Because it's broader than crystals, yoga, meditation, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, it is. It's a funny term, uh, spirituality. Um, I think, at worst, it can denote something a little bit too dualistic, where we talk about our spiritual life as though it's different from our physical life. Yeah. Uh, it has something a little bit platonic about it, so it's all about what happens inside the ghost, inside the machine, right, and not yeah. what happens to the machine. Um, so you'd say that you try to bring the two a bit more closely yeah, together? Yeah, I, you know, I think I would want, if I use the term spirituality, and I'm really happy to use that term, uh, it, it is much, much more a holistic thing about how I live my life. It's not an otherworldly thing. It's, uh, it's about living in this world and enjoying and being a steward of this world from a particular perspective and vantage point. Mm, mm. Now, a question has come in from our text line from our live audience, um, and it's connected to the idea that you're, well, you're a, a singer, a musician, yep. um, and he's asked the question, what is it about songs, i.e. music and lyric, that reveal our spirituality? Um, there's a great quote by Victor Hugo, a music expresses that which cannot be said, but on which it's impossible to remain silent. Right. So it, it, it's a form of expression that goes beyond uh, propositions. I mean, this is the same of a lot of art forms, particularly abstract art forms, um, are a, a, an attempt to get beyond pure propositions because we understand that logical propositions are limited to the logical universe, but there is more to the universe than just the space-time mm. element uh, that 
there, there is this spiritual, this other dimension, if you will. And, uh, and perhaps more to the human experience as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Kandinsky in his book on the spirituality of art, he um, discusses, you know, the importance of art and particularly abstract art as, as expressing, again, that which is beyond propositions. And, and I think um, if we limit our experience of life to that which can be encapsulated in facts and propositions, I think we miss out on the most important part of life. The, the, the most important things in life, namely God in my view, cannot be grasped but can only be known when God grasps us. It's a kind of knowledge that we don't have by mastering it but we have this knowledge by virtue of it mastering us. And so I think there's, I think there's a danger in, in the sort of demand f- for this, you know, logical proofs for our faith because it, it, it assumes that God is something empirical. Mm. Spiritual things are something, something goes beyond empirical that. and it goes way beyond that. So why is God the ultimate for you? Um, because I believe God is the ultimate. Now, uh, I didn't come... To that belief in a sort of inductive logical fashion <laughs> right. I mean I, I, I in my late teens um, you know I was a pretty deep thinking kid and I decided that I was an atheist and uh, I had in, in my late teens uh, and not having any religious or background at all actually I had uh, a, a very powerful experience of God that led me to faith. So, so what was that experience? Can you unpack um, that? Was well, it's, it's difficult, difficult to explain, but I, I, I had a sense of my own discordance with God before I even believed in God. I, <laughs> right, okay. I, I had this increasing sense of my, the discordance of my life. And, you know, I had some Christians around me. And so I knew a little bit about that. And there were, you know, but uh, it, it actually led to me saying, you know, feeling compelled to say, well, I believe in God, but the whole Jesus thing is, I just thought it was nonsense. Until this sense of discordance actually weighed me down to the point where I was absolutely crushed by it. And I remember one day I was on a bus, uh, a very long journey when we used to catch buses. uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, the old Greyhound bus. And I was sitting there and I I was so crushed by this sense of discordance, by guilt, you know, I would call it. And, and, And I... And the, the prayer that came out of my mouth was, Jesus, if you will forgive me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And I actually, I felt that weight of guilt lift off me. It was like a physical experience right. lifting off me. And I knew that I was in the grasp of something way bigger than I could end, uh, understand. And I spent the following years with my understanding catching up on what had right. actually happened to me. Yeah. It's like God had taken hold of me and my mind then had to catch up. Yeah. And then hence there's a, in some respects, I suppose you've just outlined the, the problem with spirituality in some sense. There's mm. something bigger that words perhaps couldn't quite fully describe. Um, yeah, that's right. But it's important that we do describe it. Someone once said to me, um, someone who was more in the Eastern kind of religious, perhaps more New Age, well, well, perhaps we shouldn't talk about it all. Why do we need to have doctrines and give things names? Well, that works in a very individualistic kind of spirituality, but... But I believe the test of any worldview, of any system of thought, is its power to create true community and bind people together. So I think it's important that we have a language set that works to give that 
a sort of verbal dimension right, and yeah. that that then becomes a common way of us speaking together with one another uh, about God. And so I think, you know, for me, theology and the study of theology and the Bible helps me to articulate what has happened, to articulate and understand what has happened to me. Mm. And it's, it's like learning the language of God. Right. And you find that in the Psalms as well, in particular? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the Psalms are like a, an experiential pathway, you know, like, like a pathway through a jungle that's been trodden down and you can right. follow that pathway. It's like, oh, people have been here before. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to follow this pathway. And, and you know, it starts in, in the swamp, so to speak, you know, with the lament Psalms and God, why are you far away? And why, you know, don't you ever answer my prayers? And, you know, the, it, it starts in this place of real honesty. And it, it tracks the, the journey of faith in a very honest way to a place of genuine encounter with God. Mm. And so um, I think the Psalms are actually not just for us to read, but to experience and to journey with. Mm. And, and, and I think that music is the best way to do that. And particularly by the Sons of Korah. Yeah, particularly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, exclusively, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we reflect on one of these spiritual songs right now? Because we're asking Matt Jacoby's today's big question, what is authentic spirituality? Uh, and in Psalm 37, which isn't actually a psalm by the sons of Korah, the psalmist in Psalm 37 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you've, you've claimed that delight in the Lord lies at the heart of authentic biblical spirituality. So why is that? Um, I think what happens, what is happening in the psalms, when, when you look at the psalms, you've got to think process... Uh, that people are working from where they are and they're seeking God. And uh, I think often uh, we're, we're far too passive in the way that we approach spiritual things. It's just something that happens to me. Whereas I think there's this, I think we need to seek and lean in. And what I see happening in the Psalms is the exercising of a desire for that which is most desirable. It's like I'm aligning my desires with what is most important in life. You know, I think there's a certain discordance that happens when we pursue things that are not most important in life. So the pursuit of that which is ultimate, I'm putting this in very general terms, yeah. the pursuit of that which is ultimate is the ultimate state of, of alignment. What you see in the Psalms is them seeking and pursuing God in the midst of their circumstances, not even often their circumstances are deplorable mm. circumstances, but they're not primarily chasing a change in their circumstance. They're wanting to find God in their circumstance. And so it's what is happening here is the sort of liberation of desire from all of the other things that concern it and the focusing of desire mm. on that which is most important, most desirable, and ultimate in life. And I suppose also, well, this idea that taking, it says, take delight in the Lord. Is yeah. that part of that Absolutely. seeking after him? And Absolutely. It's like, I'm going to make most important what is most important, even if I'm not sure exactly what that is. But, it's, but when you come to that point of thinking, surely there's more to life than just this, like you're right on the mark there. Like that's a good place to start. Mm. And that sense that, well, I feel innately, um, and I think this is innate in us, I feel innately that there is an ultimate reality with which I need to make sure that I'm in, in touch with. You can and connect to. That I connect to. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, needs, that must become the most important thing mm. because it is the most important thing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the ultimate. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yes, yeah. 
But why God and not some other sort of ultimate reality that other sort of forms of spirituality connect to? Or even ourselves, like some forms of spirituality are inherently connecting to ourselves. So why can't ourselves be the, the ultimate reality? Yeah, well, if there is, I mean, if there is no God, I mean, in, in a way, I think Descartes uh, was right when he reason that if there is no God, there is no way for us out of our solipsistic sort of universe. And by that, I mean, you know, we're stuck within this very limited perspective. Mm, mm. So either there is a God or we're trapped in this solipsistic universe. Mm. Um, this verse also says in Psalm 37, so take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, my eldest son currently desires a Maserati and a Steinway piano. Mm. Is that what's being spoken of here? Well, if, if he wants a Maserati and a Steinway piano, I would suggest that he goes and talks to God about that. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I think you should take all of your desires to God. Yeah. But it may be that what God does is that he doesn't give you what you desire, that he actually changes what you desire. And more often than not, for me, what happens when I bring myself into a place where I'm meeting with God and reflecting on God, and talking to God and allowing God by his spirit to talk to me is the transformation of my desires and the alignment of my desires with his desires that is what is most important. But is that a good thing though? Is that for our benefit? Absolutely, it is because um, I am then desiring what is ultimately desirable to come back to what I said before. Yeah. And there is, a, there is a liberation of the soul in that. Uh, we are burdened when we pursue things that we're not made to desire. You know, desire is of such a nature that it's meant to be insatiable. So if you desire things, or if you even desire people and relationships as objects, you're never gonna get to a point where, you, where you're satisfied with that. But desire, I believe, was made for what is ultimately desirable, which is God. And actually, it's good that you never get to a place where you are satisfied, it's meant to be insatiable, mm, mm. you know. So desire is made for relationship and ultimately for relationship with God. Elsewhere in the psalm, in verse 7 of Psalm 37, and in light of the observation of the wicked, the psalmist encourages in the first part of verse 7 to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So could this be seen as a, a sort of a form of meditation, perhaps, being still and waiting for God? Yeah, this is the form that I referred to, actually. Uh, when, when you I, answered the quiz when before. When I answered the quiz, that made meditation. me that declared that I was a moderately spiritual person. <laughs> right. I, um, one of the things that I do constantly is that I, I sit and simply wait for God. Now, that sounds strange, but uh, for me, it's exercising my desire for God. It's allowing my heart and my desires to know that if I don't have God, everything is futile. A lot of questions have come in from our text line, from our live audience here. You talked about coming into a place where you meet with God, how do I do that? What's the first step? Steps, are, it's a funny sort of term, steps. Um, you know, it's a relationship. This is a relationship. I think we can think in ways about spirituality that take it away from relationship. It's one of the problems with a lot of forms of spirituality, uh, a lot of popular forms, is that, is that they exclude the relational element. It's, uh, it's about techniques, uh, you know, mind, discipline technique, which, which I think can be... I think are fine. I think we need to think of this relationally, that there exists a God who wants to have a relationship with us. And so I think we just should start really honestly, like the Psalms do, to bring it back to the Psalms. They say how they feel. 
uh, and if they feel like God's far away, if they feel uh, that God has let them down, they just express exactly that. And so I think honesty is the best way to start. Mm. So you've been singing and reflecting on the Psalms for 25 years or so. How has that affected you? I've actually memorized uh, probably about 100 Psalms. Okay. And, and so... Does that include the longest one, Psalm 119? No, it does not include <laughs> that okay. one. Um, that would be impressive. Um, and, and so I do find that it, it, is, it is a little like learning a language of faith. You know, they have directed and, and set a course for the way that I pray and relate to God. And it's been enormously fruitful for me to do that. So music has become a wonderful tool for internalising the text and making it extra personal. Mm. And so how has it impacted your life then? What, what is it, how has it changed you? It's, it's expanded my understanding, expanded my relationship with God, made it more personal, because I think we tend to be what I would call quite religious. We think about, now what should I say? What are the steps? You know, whereas the Psalms show us, we just be honest. And, and they, they validate that level of honesty. And so I feel that in the Psalms and by using the Psalms, they have led me to a place of far more real and vitalized experience. Mm. Now, many people are searching for an inner sense of peace. So could these Psalms, these uh, ancient spiritual songs help? Yeah, yeah I believe they can. Uh, peace is the absence of conflict and the ultimate state of spiritual conflict is when our life is in conflict with God's intention for us. That is the ultimate state of spiritual conflict. And when that state of conflict is resolved, and I described initially the experience of that being resolved for me, and it was ultimately resolved by me, uh, by me looking to the person of Jesus Christ, who I never understood, but through my need, through my felt need of that discordance, deep sense of discordance and conflict, uh, I recognised, ah, this is why God came to us in Jesus Christ, to deal with that discordance, to deal with that um, conflict and enmity. Uh, so to me, the ultimate state of peace is uh, the resolution of our conflict with God. So thanks very much for joining us here today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Matt. So Matt, what is authentic spirituality? Authentic spirituality is, in my view, is knowing God, walking with God, and becoming who God wants us to be. And that is possible for everyone because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to this bigger question, what is authentic spirituality? From Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Dr. Matt Jacoby. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.